gotten so used to our kiddos being in here. Listen, they amen and give me a lot more feedback than our adults do, so I appreciate that. <laughs> but man, this morning we get the opportunity to celebrate the goodness of God. Last week we started a study called Grace to You where we explore, um, we're going to be getting into the book of Galatians, and we started that by talking about Paul. This week we'll finish up with Paul, and next week we'll talk about the law and all these things, these ingredients that are in the book of Galatians and why they mean so much to us. And what I think is so awesome this morning is that we're going to see the Apostle Paul be reminded about the greatness of God and how that influences his life moving forward. And there's going to be some challenges this morning that I pray that we can face and some things that I pray we can grab a hold of. And the biggest thing this morning is an accurate understanding of the grace of God and how it works. Because this morning what we'll see in Acts chapter 9 is where we'll be at. This morning what we'll see is how Paul's doctrine, his theology, his views on God are radically shifted by a moment, by an experience on a road as he was going to commit rebellion and sin against the holy God. God meets him there. And so I pray this morning, I'm going to read this text in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 9. We'll pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. And we'll see what he has for us this morning. Let's pray, or let's read, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless, although hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I just ask that we would be humbled this morning before your greatness. God, that we would be reminded of who you are. God, that we would be encouraged to be led, guided, and directed by what you have for us. Lord, challenge us in our understanding of you. God, challenge us in our understanding of your grace and how you meet us and how you call us to be your people. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. So like I said this morning, we're going to finish up talking about Paul as we're making our way into the book of Galatians. And last week we started by talking about who Paul was. You know, Paul was a vicious man. He was being uh, encouraged. He was being led. He was being directed by his desire, by his desire to serve a holy God. And through that serving, through that that passion that he had for God, it led him to oppress the people of God. It led him to, to come against Christians, to stand by at the stoning of Stephen, to drag women and children and people out of their homes to be in prison. And so this was the man who Paul was. And we kind of navigated that together to see how that relates to us and facing our pride and facing a calling that God has for us. And so what we see this morning, as we kind of see this experience that Paul has, 
that we'll see Paul go from an enemy of God's people to an instrument of God's kingdom. That we'll see that how only God has the ability to take the worst of us and mold us into a people for his purpose. Listen, church, God does this for us in a miraculous way, and I pray that we can see that. I pray that we can hear that. I pray that we can take the example of Paul in his life and what he does, having all the acclaim, all the authority he could want, but he's met by Jesus in this moment on his way to sin, and it completely changes his life. Because what we see in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, is we see Paul get a firsthand lesson on grace. And there's three things this morning that I want us to see. I'll be quick and to the point, and we'll see what he has for us. And I pray that we would allow it to show us the truth of his grace. And so the first thing this morning that I want us to see is that Jesus seeks his people. That Jesus seeks his people. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 4, we see this. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So listen, Saul, who will we'll call Paul from this point forward, just to be clear on who we're talking about. Remember, Saul's name was not changed to Paul. Saul always had the name Paul. He just used the name Paul when he interacted with Gentiles or people who weren't Jews. And so from this point forward, we're going to talk about him as Paul so that we're not confused. But Paul is on his way to persecute and oppress and rebel against Jesus. And in this moment, he is met by Jesus. And so the, the, the cool thing is, you know, is that the Bible was written by different men from different perspectives. And so we know that the book of, uh, the, the book of Acts is written by Luke. And so Luke writes from his perspective. But if we write further down and uh, read further down in the book of Acts, we see firsthand uh, Paul giving an account of what happened in that day from, uh, from Luke writing it. And so we see a little clearer picture. And so in verse uh, chapter 26 of Acts, we see Paul's firsthand account of his encounter with Jesus and we see this he says at midday O king I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun so can you imagine that moment can you imagine that moment Paul is on his way to commit rebellion against Jesus is in and is faced with Jesus in that moment it says a light brighter than the sun you know the light came to him in his darkness, you know, and that, that was just kind of the idea that came to me. You know, he, he said he had, it, it was brighter than the sun, brighter than the brightest thing in his world. This Jesus, this Savior came down and says that this light came to him in his darkness. You know, that's what light does. Light invades darkness. It comes into the spaces where darkness is at. And so what we see here is we see Jesus invade this space where Paul is walking in darkness, but this light comes to meet him. And what I think is so significant about this moment is that Jesus did not meet Paul in his darkness on this road to sin to punish him. We need to be understanding of that, that Jesus did not come to punish him, but to invite him into something greater. Because, listen, we were already punished by birth. We were already condemned by the sin that we inherited from our first father in Adam. We were already destined to die. Jesus didn't have to come to make us more destined to die. We were already destined to die. And so what Jesus did is Jesus came where we were. Jesus came into the space where we were to invite us to something greater. John three seventeen tells us, he says that he not to condemn the world. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him.
You know, and what's amazing about this is that Paul spent his whole life trying to work harder to get to God. Paul spent his whole life working to get to God. And in this very moment, in the midst of his sin, God comes to him. Jesus seeks his people. You know, as we talk about God's grace, we're reminded in this moment that Paul received this revelation from Jesus, not because he got to him, but because he came to Paul. Paul is getting a firsthand lesson on grace through the fact that Jesus seeks his people. Paul did nothing to earn this moment. Was it frightening? Yes. Was it a challenging? Absolutely. As us facing the very grace of God is. It's challenging. It's frightening. We talked about that a little bit last week. As we're faced with the reality of our sin, as we're faced with the reality of who we are before a holy God, it is frightening. It is challenging because what it'll call us to do in that word repentance, it calls us to turn away from some things. It calls for us to leave some things behind us. You know, but this moment comes because Christ sought him out. And I love the first words that Jesus says to him are Saul, Saul. You know, and this is very significant in the, in the, the context of the narrative of, of Scripture is that any time that something is repeated, it's not only showing importance, but in, in the communication between two individuals, it's showing intimate communication, intimate personal communication. And, and, and he says to Paul here, or when he's calling him Saul, he's calling him by his Hebrew name, he calls him, he says, Saul, Saul. We see this through, through Scripture in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. Whenever uh, God is calling out to Moses during the burning bush, he says, Moses, Moses. This personal communication with this individual. In 1 Samuel 3.10, he's calling out to Samuel. He says, Samuel, Samuel. It's this personal cry to an individual. Luke chapter 10, verse 41, when Jesus is trying to instruct Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, he's trying to instruct her on what is most important. He says, you're worried about all these things, but your sister Mary is worried about the most important things, and that's in serving me and hearing from me and loving me. Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus calls out to Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, he says, the devil was after you, but I prayed for you. You know, this always came, this repetition, this personal communication always came before an instruction from the Lord or some type of encouragement because Jesus is seeking his people. He's, he's desiring, leaning into a personal relationship with his people. Paul had lived his whole life following religious rules to get closer to God. And in the midst of his sin, Jesus comes down and meets him where he's at. Showing Paul that there's no good work that you could do to seek or get close enough to me. But it's in the midst of our sin that Jesus seeks us. And I love how Paul would learn from this later on in his ministry in Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ has made me his own. Christ came down to the road where I was at. Christ came down to the road and called my name twice. Christ came down to the road and invited me into something greater. Jesus seeks his people where they are, and we should be so thankful for that because that's a revelation of the grace of God in our life. Jesus seeks his people. The second thing this morning that I want us to see is that Jesus is with his people. Jesus is with his people. Acts chapter 9 verse 4. 
He says, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, there's two things that happen in this moment. The first thing is that Paul is confronted with everything that he believed and how false and fatal it was because he was living by religion, trying to get closer to God. And that that attempt to earn God's approval, earn God's grace, earn God's glory was leading him to oppress the very Christians, the very people that that he should be worshiping alongside. He was oppressing those people. You know, I love Paul's personal account of this in Acts chapter 26. You know, and you can write that down and kind of reference that back later on to kind of study that a little further. But Acts chapter 26, verse 14, he says, And when he had fallen to the ground, when I had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then this is where it's different, where Paul's personal account kind of shines through. He says, It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so, you know, uh, if you have a KJV, it says the pricks, you know, or the goads. What is that? What he's speaking about is he's speaking about this tool that was used with livestock and oxen and these things to, to redirect them to, to inside just enough pain just to kind of prick them, just to dr- make them gonna go where they wanted them to go, be directed where they wanted them to be. And so Jesus says to Paul in this moment, he says, uh, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. He's basically saying your fights against the call that God has for you are futile they're futile because God has something that he is doing and your work against God's work it will never succeed so he says this goad you know is used to simulate livestock to move to stir up to action to move in a direction Jesus is making it clear to Paul you've been moving your whole life but you've been moving in the wrong direction you've been working against the grain and the second thing that's so awesome about this text is that Jesus associates himself with his people's pain. Jesus is associating with himself with the pain of his people. He says, well, you are persecuting me. You are persecuting me as you are imprisoning people, as you are standing by as people are stoned to death, as you are doing things in the name of religion. You aren't persecuting these individuals. You are persecuting me because we serve a God that isn't distant. We serve a God that leans into the pains of its people. And that if we would ever have any question, if God knows what I'm going through, if God cares about what I'm going through, if God knows that I'm suffering, the reason God sent his son Jesus down to die a horrible death on our behalf is so that we could not ever say that God doesn't know how we feel because God allowed his son in the flesh to experience the worst pains possible in life so that he could stand in the midst of our pain and suffering with us. That's the God that we serve. It's a beautiful truth that is revealed to us and maybe answers a question when we think, you know, we hear all the time, whether it's in conversation or in the text, uh, that I am in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? To be in Christ means this, that when we're persecuted, Christ is persecuted. When we're oppressed, God is oppressed. When we hurt, God hurts. When we're, when we, and God knows it, God hears us. God is in the midst of his people's pain and he is never distant from us. Matthew 25, 45, he says, then he will answer them. This is Jesus talking truly. I say to you, as you did, did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. He says, as you did not serve the hurting, as you did not serve the needing, you have not done it to me because Jesus is with his people. Jesus is with his people. Romans 8, 1, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
for those who are connected to Christ, who are washed with the blood of Christ, who have put their faith in the work of Jesus on the cross or in Christ, and that we can stand in the confidence and the righteousness in the strength and the victory of who Christ is because Jesus is with his people. What we see from this text is there is an inseparable union that exists between Christ and his people. And Paul is learning that. Paul is learning that Jesus seeks his people and that Jesus is with his people. He is being radically changed in this moment by experiencing these different levels of grace. And then the last thing this morning is that Jesus leads his people. Jesus leads his people. Acts chapter 9, verses 6 and 8. He says, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. In verse 8 it says, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. You know, despite everything that Saul had done, despite everything that Saul had done, Jesus still had a task for him. You know, God is so much different than we are. I mean, and if we're honest with ourselves, if a Paul walked through the door right now, how many of us would turn and look at him and say, brother, you have no place here. I know the things you've done wrong. I know the things that you've done against our people, against the people that I know. Like Paul is on his way to Damascus, and, and, and they know him. They know the things that he's done. They know the hurt that he's caused. They know the oppression that he's inflicted. They know all the wrongs that he's done. And can you imagine if a man like that walked through a modern church door today, how would we react to that person? I thank God that his view of us is a lot different than our view of each other. Because God, despite what he has done, he tells Paul, he says, rise. He says, rise. I love that he even calls him Saul. He's not even disconnecting him from his Hebrew name. He's not even disconnecting him from the, the, the religious oppression that he inflicted on the people prior to this moment. He tells him, rise. He tells him, get up. He tells him, I have a task for you despite everything you've done and despite everybody you've hurt. He says, I have a task for you. I love how he never promises him that it'll be easy. He never tells him that everybody's going to accept you or believe you. Not everybody's going to just be so thankful that you're around. You know, we'll, we'll see that and reference that further on as we get into the book of Galatians, the things that Paul experienced in his life. But in Paul's vulnerability, Christ chooses to use him rather than to destroy him, defeat him, or make an example out of him. Because how easily could have God have done that? Jesus already ambushed him, just popped up in a blaze of light, and Paul fell down. I mean, Paul was vulnerable. He could have just taken care of her right there. You know, how do you like me now? You know, what you think about it now? Jesus just could have, just could have wiped Paul off the face of the earth in a single moment, but instead of that, instead of destroying him, punishing him, or using him as an example, he chooses him. For a purpose. He deserved punishment, but instead he got instructions and purpose. And this is the moment, and this is the shift that would begin in Paul's life as he would begin to walk in faith. Acts 22, we see more of this story as, uh, as Paul kind of communicates it. He said, and I said, what shall I do? So in this moment, whenever Paul is fearful and vulnerable, he cries out to the Lord. He says, what shall I do? Seeking something, seeking some instruction, and he calls him Lord. How, how beautiful of a moment. 
that this very Lord he's been working against in this moment, his heart shifts in faith, and he says, what, what shall I do? What shall I do? Paul asks, seeking direction. And I love the direction that, that Jesus gives him. He says, rise, and he says, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed to you to do. He was already on his way to Damascus, but do we remember what he was on his way to Damascus to do? You know, I love that God may not change our direction, but he'll change our intentions. You know, God will take who we are and the things that we're doing you know, maybe it's our job, maybe it's our relationship, maybe it's the church that we're attending. God will take us, and when he begins to mold us and shape us, he may not change our direction, but he'll change our intentions in the midst of those things. You know, because Paul was going to Damascus for a completely different reason, the very polar opposite reason. But God, I love that he doesn't say, listen, you're not going to go to Damascus anymore. He says, no, you're still going to go to Damascus, and I'm going to have a different work for you to do. You're not going to go work against those people. You're going to go work with and for those people. You are going to be the very conduit at which the gospel will reach those people. God doesn't always change our direction, but he molds our intentions to his purpose, to the growth of his kingdom and what he has for us to do. And he says, you know, he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. Paul is learning about the goodness of who God is. And I love this. In, ver in verse 9, he says, he says that he could not see. He says, for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. He stripped away the flesh. He stripped away his flesh. He stripped away everything he was desiring. He stripped away everything that he was dependent on. He stripped away everything to the point of his vulnerability to allow him to grow. Listen, the greatest thing that we have to understand is that when we have nothing, that is when we see everything. When we have nothing, that's when we see everything that God has to offer us. And he tells us here that he experienced this for three days. In the Bible, the significance of the number three is wholeness. It's completion. It's perfection. That Paul has been working towards trying to earn a perfect state, a perfect acceptance, uh, this wholeness. He's trying to find everything in the world through religious duties. He's been trying to be the best, the best education, the best success in his ministry. The best. He's tr been trying to fight his way towards perfection. And it's in his most vulnerable time that he finds wholeness. It's in his most vulnerable time that he finds perfection, not because he earned it, but because God came down to earth and gave it to him, met him there, and then in Paul's faith, he would receive that. So why does this matter to us as we finish up this morning? Because as like Paul, a life of experienced grace is a new life. It's a new life with power. It's a new life with purpose. The Bible tells us, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, it's a new creation. That this moment for Paul 
drastically changes his life, not because he was scared to death and didn't want to do anything else out of fear of, 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 of something like this happening again, but his life drastically changed because he experienced a grace that he had never known, that he had never taught, that he had never understood, that everything that he got in this moment is what he had spent his entire life working towards. But God gave it to him. God met him and gave it to him. And so to finish up, I just want to give you three things that we can take as we see the, Paul, the life of Paul, we move into understanding what God has for us in Galatians. Three things from the life of Paul that I pray that we can see within our own life, that we can begin to walk with in our own life, experience in our own life, and allow God to use us in light of these things. The first thing is that Paul knew he was not perfect, and he didn't hide that, but he used it. He used it. We see that from this moment on. Paul will write over and over and over and over again in the epistles, in the letters that he wrote to the churches. He would remind them of who he was, not out of fear, but out of joy. You know, John, uh, John Piper said this. He said, the, the apostle Paul did not hide his flaws, but made them an occasion to help others fight for holiness and joy. Because Paul knew that there is no past that can rob us of our purpose. That God had something for Paul and that he was not afraid to acknowledge, listen, I've made mistakes. He'll even acknowledge further on in 1 Timothy. He even tells him where he's at now. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Romans chapter 7, verse 15, 18, and 22 through 25, he says, Paul says this, he says, For I do not understand my own action, for I do not know what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my, my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4, and then 8 through 9, he says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Last of all, as the one ultimately uh, untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul was not afraid to acknowledge where he had fallen short, and that is the gospel that he communicated to these churches. He wanted them to understand that the church of Jesus Christ is not built off on, on, on the backs of perfect people. That the church of Jesus Christ is built on the back of Jesus. And that we imperfect people grab on for dear life just to experience a hint of the glory that God has. The second thing is that Paul never took lightly his calling and his responsibility as a follower of Christ. You know, we said that, that even in this moment, Jesus called Paul Saul, which was his Hebrew name, whenever he was doing that work. 
And even after this, in the book of Acts, he'll be called Saul 11 more times. But then the moment Paul steps into the ministry that God had for him, God called Paul to minister to the Gentiles, who were people who were not Jews. These were the people that Paul would have hated his whole life. He would have woke up every morning, looked in the mirror, and said, Thank God that I'm not like them. These are the people that God called Paul to. And the moment that Paul began that ministry in Acts chapter 13 is the first time he's called Paul. Because when he dealt with Gentile people, they called him Paul because that was his Gentile name. And Paul was passionate about this work. Paul was not apathetic. He was never apathetic about his work as many Christians are today. The greatest, the greatest tragedy in the Christian church is the apathy of God's people. You know, to be indifferent, to be unconcerned, to be uninterested in the work of God. If we read through the epistles of Paul, Paul was not that. Paul was passionate about the work of the church. He would be there. He would leave right back to them, tell them, I am concerned for you. I am hurting for you. I want to see your people saved. I want to see this false doctrine stripped away from your churches. He says, I want to see the gospel of Jesus present among your people. In church, we cannot afford to be apathetic towards the work of Jesus in our church, in our community, in our families, at our workplaces. We can't afford it. There's too much to do. There's too many people depending on us to not be apathetic about our relationship with the Lord. Philippians 1, 21 through 22, Paul said, For me to live is to live for Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He says, There is labor for me to do if I am going to live in this flesh. Romans 10, 1. You know, as he has written in verses uh, chapter 1 of Romans down to this point, he's talked about sinners. He's talked about reprobates. He's talked about all these people who are in rebellion against God. And then in chapter 10, he says this, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Even as Paul, if you'll read Romans chapter 1, he talks about sin. He lays out sin, the worst of the worst of sin, and he just lays it out and says these people are rebelling against God. They're choosing things that are opposite of what God's called them to, and this is what they have for them. But then this is Paul's heart in Romans chapter 10. He says, it is my heart that they may be saved. Paul would not give up on people or be apathetic in his walk and calling for the Lord because he knew that there were people that needed to hear about Jesus. That there were people that were choosing things in rebellion against God in selfishness and in pride. And then the last thing, church, I think is one of the most important things that we have to remember as believers. Is that Paul invited imitation. Paul invited imitation. Not because he was perfect, but because he was pointing to the perfect one. I feel like so many times, and I've been uh, guilty of this, so many times as Christians, we're afraid for anybody to ever look at us for any kind of example. To ever try to be an encouragement to anybody, well, I mean, what, what do I have? What can I do for them? What place can I play in their life? I mean, I have mistakes. I have sins. They, they can't benefit from me. Listen, that's not true. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul says, I know the right things to do, and I still don't do it because I can't do it. But still, Paul would call people. He would say, imitate me. Because Paul wasn't telling them, hey, follow my imperfections. He was saying, look at my imperfections and follow the perfect one. Church, we can't afraid to be visible among people, that people would see us as imperfect Christians. Don't be afraid for people to see you where you are. 
Because you do people much more good by being present in their life as an imperfect Christian than being distant from their life trying to be perfect before you can go to them. They benefit from your imperfection. They benefit from your place in their life. They benefit from you leaning in in your imperfection, concerned for them and pointing them to the perfect one. Because, listen, they'll never hear about Jesus unless you're present with them in your imperfections. Be present. We have to be present. We can't be afraid to reveal our Christianity because we're not perfect Christians. Listen, Jesus outed each and every one of us on the cross, outed us on the cross when he died for us because he died for each and every one of our sins, past and present. There is no point in our life where we'll ever be perfect. There's no point in your life where you'll ever not sin. There's no point in your life, this fleshly life, where you will ever have it all together. 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Church, don't be afraid to be the source of imitation, even if it is in your imperfection, as long as we are striving to imitate the one who saved us. Because I believe for all of us, in some way, shape, or form, we have experienced conversion the way that Paul experienced conversion. I remember the moment when I felt God begin to call me. It's very, that feeling very similar to the Saul Saul. I could hear the, the Jake Jake and thinking to myself almost in a fear, God, please don't. Please don't. You don't know what this is going to cost me. You don't know what difference this is going to make in the trajectory of my life. I just don't know how this will turn out, you know, but it's in those moments that when I was not sure, very similar to how Paul was not sure, how he could not see, how he was blinded, he didn't know where he was going, he didn't know what was going to happen, when we step into faith in Jesus Christ, our life is the same way, listen, you won't know what in the world is ahead of you, and you could never guess, I can tell you right now, I would never guess that I'd be here right now, because the moment God called me and, and, and I heard Jake, Jake, and then I responded in faith, I was more evident of my imperfections than any other time in my entire life. And you know what? Just like Paul, how he'll be led to, by other people, he'll be brought to Damascus where Ananias will lead him and help him there. Listen, we all spend the beginning of our Christian walk dependent on other people. That's why it's important for us who are strong in the faith to reach into the lives of those who are weak and that those who are weak to not be ashamed or afraid where you can't see, where you don't know, where you don't understand. Listen, I am so thankful for people in my life that led me blindly as Paul was led by the men with him and by Ananias. Listen, we don't know what God has for us. We depend on other people. And then, like Paul, eventually we find our stride. Is that stride perfect? Absolutely not. But we begin to settle into the work that he has for us. And I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would do that. So if we could, as we finish up this morning, could we bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's seek the Lord together in the midst of our life, that we would say, God, remind me that you seek your people. God, remind me that you're with your people. God, remind me that you lead your people, that in the midst of your grace, that God has something for us. God has a purpose for us. God is leaning into the space where we are, and all he does is he calls us to this point of faith, to put our faith in him, to be led, to be God, to be resting in what he has for us that we would not be apathetic, that we would not be unconcerned, that we would not be uninterested, but we would be passionate about what he has. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the example of Paul. 
God, I thank you that even in the midst of his imperfections, God, you called him to a greater purpose. God, I thank you that in the midst of his struggles, God, in the midst of the thorn in his side, God, that you still called him, led him, directed him, and gave him purpose. Father God, I pray that we would be a people that would see Paul as an encouragement. God, to not try to be Paul, but God, be encouraged by the life of Paul. Be encouraged by the grace that you showed Paul and the grace that Paul would continue to try to communicate to his people through the rest of his ministry and ultimately give his life for it. Father God, I pray that we would respond appropriately to the call that as we hear our names, as you called out to Saul, Saul, God, that we would not be afraid to face our sin, God, that we know that anything you reveal to us, it's because you have intentions to strip it away from us. God, so let us face our sin. God, let us face where we fall short. God, let us face our unbelief. Let us face our doubts in you. And that even if we begin to step out in faith in you, not completely understanding, God, that we will have faith and trust that you will show us the way, that you will tell us what it is you have for us to do. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I just ask you to challenge us in these ways. God, speak to us in our humility. God, help us to lay our pride aside and begin to walk in line with your will for our life. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.